Today this on the Shift Daily Podcast, the Shift Podcast, really make a warp bubble like from Star Trek, fancy, fancy warp drive stuff. Well, not really. The internet says they did. Greg Fish shares how false headlines spread across the internet like wildfire, but the real story is still something amazing, even though it's not quite accurate. And it's exciting to look at the science behind it. Sir Christopher Gilbert joins us from Tokyo, all the way across the Pacific here on the Shift. He shares the story of a man who was attacked by a pack of otters. Research into why cats may be psychopaths and so much more. Plus, he shares a little bit what it's like to have Christmas in Japan and Christmas where his family's from in New Zealand. Cool stuff. And are you okay with capitalism? This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay? I'm excited to share this one. Are you okay with the minors? Minor league oh. hockey. Oh, yeah. I, I never played, but I loved going to my friends' games. And even uh, uh, one of my ex-girlfriends, uh, she played uh, ringette. And uh, that was, like, that was way too fun uh, with the entire crowd getting, like, insanely into just, like, this totally casual league. I think that's probably my favorite part, people just taking it way too seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great. It's very – it's something very Canadian and – as I would say, wholesome about minor hockey until someone punches the glass because they get mad at the referee and then it all shatters and breaks. When you think of hockey leagues, you think of kids on the ice, right? Some little pickup hockey maybe, some scrimmages, mm-hmm. some uh, ODR pond hockey. Maybe the uh, the you know the dads in the beer leagues, the, the dads on the bench drinking a beer in between shifts, you know, the real good beer league stuff. Now this group you're about to meet, is probably going to challenge any of the stereotypes you have about hockey and who is on the ice. Jay Durant tells us uh, on This Is BC, there is a league of their own for women to play hockey who are middle-aged or older. Give it a boo. The big game tonight? Big game tonight. We've got to beat these guys. Playing the Slashing Pumpkins. Some fitting team names for this new league. There's also the Vintage Edition, as well as the Jerry Hattricks. My husband came up with the name uh, Hot Flashes, which I thought was very appropriate for our age group. There's a new women's league operating out of Langley this winter, 45-plus, ranging all the way up to age 68, because playing amongst faster 20-something-year-olds was becoming a bit risky. Your body, you know, we're older, we can't take things as well. We don't heal as fast. It's a chance to lace up the skates once again. Some have come out of retirement. I quit for 16 years, and I just came back this year. Some started late in life. Others have been playing most of their life. Since I was 13, yep. And some are back together after decades apart. I've never seen Teresa since uh, we were 14 or 15. We were playing box across together. The passion for the sport is as strong as ever. I have to try to settle it down a little, you know, because I'm getting older, but it's not an easy thing for me to do. Even if some of the skills may not be as sharp as they once were. Yeah, your timing's not quite what it used to be. You know, you entirely miss a puck that normally you think you would hit it and you just kind of swipe and miss and wipe yourself out the opportunity to play against peers was long overdue the young kids they don't want grandma in the dressing room come on like i'm 60 now but they'll always have a home in this league of their own one two three jay durant global news slashing pumpkins oh my god the hot flashes oh my (laughs) 
look, I, I, can't, I have no idea how to skate. I have no idea how to play hockey. This is like motivation for me to learn how to do this. Uh, just amazing. To join a women's hockey league? No, if they'll have me. I mean, I, I don't care. Uh, but I just want to play hockey now because it's just so, it just sounds like so much fun. I love mm-hmm. the idea of like, what's grandma up to today? Oh, she's playing, she's playing against the slashing pumpkins. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> they go to a stadium and watch grandma play with a bunch of other grandmas on the ice. That sounds amazing. Oh, hell yeah. Cheer it on. Get you out of the house. That's fantastic. Uh, is that kind of partial to the Jerry hat tricks? Oh, so good, right? Yeah. I love that story. That story makes me happy. That is a good news. Are you okay mm-hmm. here on the shift? Very good. Let's continue. Are you okay? Are you okay with national anthems? I think about this often, actually. Really? I do. Uh, I do. I think about it. I think about um, when O Canada plays and you look at everyone in the arena or wherever you are, stand up and stand there uh, paying attention to the flag. It always makes me feel like it's important to be grateful for what our country represents. But if you didn't know what a national anthem was, do we look silly? Well, I, I, no, because it's national anthem has been around for a long time. Almost every single country on earth has a national anthem. Uh, and uh, Canada's is a pretty great national anthem, just objectively speaking. I think the lyrics are good, sounds good. Still, the, the most... Uh, uh, like crazy one was the Soviet national anthem, like the giant choir, uh, the the sound of Stalin himself. But uh, I think we've like the hunt for red of, October one. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think we found the nice happy medium where we don't sound like we're trying to take over uh, all of Eastern Europe. And instead we're just kind of hunkered down in our giant slice of pie. And I think it's nice. Hmm. That's cool. I, I mean, I think it's important. Um, Nothing brings a nation together like belting out the national anthem. That is true. When you go to some of those big hockey rinks and big sporting events, you know, the one of the best gigs ever is some of those national anthem singers that they basically sing the first line and they hold the mic up for the rest of the song. And they still <laughs> yeah. get paid. Like, that's a good deal. Yeah, um, great deal. But it's a big deal. It matters. And it really does bring people together. That's for sure. Um, maybe it's in school, like those big rinks. Uh, I don't know. Maybe a Walmart. Um, nothing makes us cringe like an anthem that gets butchered. Thanks, Fergie. With the American National Anthem, normally it's like the land of the free. That's the part that normally is cringeworthy. She didn't even get to that part yet. No. Yeah. Yeah. So bad anthems happen every now and then. I mean, it's true. Sometimes, you know, those singers, they, you know, they they try to overdo it. Usually the best ones are the ones that keep it simple. There's a, a young lady who volunteers to sing at some of the hockey games here. And Riley's her name. And she does a fantastic job. And it's very simple. She has a beautiful voice, and it's it's thoroughly enjoyable. But the bad ones happen. 
Now, the one place you'd expect to hear a perfect rendition of the national anthem would be at a big patriotic event, you would think. Now, with that in mind, we want to let you know that someone butchered the anthem now newly at a very patriotic QAnon conference in (laughs) Dallas. (laughs) Video of the event showed Julia Flynn, who is the niece of disgraced U.S. Army General Michael Flynn, Oh, great. You might think of the politics. Uh, take to the stage at the Elevate Life Church to perform the Star Spangled Banner to a crowd of thousands this past weekend on December 10th. And what do you do when you step up there? You take a deep breath and you open yourself up. You are confident and you forget those lyrics. That's not mm. right. <laughs> Came through through the night. Huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure it was somehow Hillary Clinton's fault. It had to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> um, Came through through the night. Gave proof the flag was there still there. Maybe um, it was just one of those, I don't know, rewrites that they do every now and then. That's a whole topic we need to do here on the shift, by the way, is the the Canadian national anthem. Because some people still sing it the old way, um, mm-hmm. you know, with the sons part versus the us part. And I'd be curious to hear everybody's thoughts on that. Um, about there's some there's some traditional people that are still not okay with with the new rewrites. The conversation in itself. Are you okay? Well, wait, QAnon already changes all the rules about what's real in science anyway, so why not just change the lyrics? <laughs> this is make up their own news. Yeah, right. exactly. So why not make up their own anthem? Are you okay with capitalism? Yes. Um, I w- capitalism itself, I, uh, Shane, I, I, I like the way you put it, where it's like capitalism itself isn't bad, consumerism is. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I love my favorite part about capitalism is the idea that like some Joe Blow sitting in their house thinks, man, I really need something. And then they figure out how to make it and then they sell it. I think that's really cool. Uh, and uh, I like the kind of small business it promotes. I yeah, I mean, I I, th- I think that there's problems with it uh, and, and, and problems of how we use it. Um, but I think that the system, the idea of it is great. And there's some amazing yep. things that come from it. Yeah, I think that even based upon every system in existence, when even done poorly, when humans give in to their greed, there's still an element of the little guy can still do something in capitalism. Mm -hmm. With the other systems, no, not so much. No, I agree. And that's the thing, Ryan, when you said when you say that, you know, um, it's not perfect. Da, 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 da. Capitalism gives us everything. Capitalism gives us the radio to talk on, right? Uh, from designing AM radio all those years ago to the mm-hmm. stations that we have today. The part that erodes it all is um, greed. And there are many people that are like, capitalism is ruining our culture. No, greed is. Capitalism is fine, actually. It's greed. 
right? Consumerism, the collect everything greed, is also a problem. It just, and that's just the way it is. Capitalism gives us um, all the good. Greed is the problem. Now, there's a famous saying when it comes to uh, capitalism. <laughs> really? You don't say. <laughs> I kind of thought it said botulism, but I was like, oh, that's weird. Maybe that's just how uh, capitalism. No, that doesn't Capitalism. Capitalism. Yeah. That's a typo. Yeah. In fact, that one is so big, I'm going to give it one of these. It's a typo! It's, yeah, it's a, it's a typo! Um, there's a famous saying when it comes to capitalism. It inspires and drives innovation, which mm-hmm. is very true. Um, it also inspires the absolute worst and most unbelievable things in the world, like greed. Meet Stephanie Matto. She was a reality star on a 90-day finance show. (laughs) That's That's the right either. That's pretty good. I like that one. Hmm. (laughs) She wasn't a finance. She was a fiancé. She was a a reality star on a 90-day fiancé show. She started some other business ideas and ventures, including this one. I made $45,000 in one week selling my jars of farts. Oh, dear. You know, um, maybe I need to rethink this whole radio thing. Mm-hmm. Um, $45,000 in a week doing that. Mm-hmm. She said she was selling. Can we play that clip one more time? Because it's a little muddy at the end. I made $45,000 in one week selling my jars of farts. My jars of farts. Oh, my God. No. No. Okay, buddy. No, you can't do that. (laughs) You just. $45,000 a week. You shouldn't be allowed to do that. Well, that's All right, let's continue with the story. Oh, yeah, it is capitalism. It's <laughs> so the first question I get asked a lot is how long do the farts last? And the smell is most prominent for the first two days. But as I like to say, one whiff makes memories that last a lifetime. Now, why do people buy my farts in a jar? I honestly think it's because... I have a really good personality and also because I'm hot. Now, what are some of my fart selling tips and tricks? Number one, don't eat fiber one bars. You might think it's the easy way out, but there is nothing easy about it on its way out. You know what I mean? Don't push yourself too hard, literally and figuratively. Just have fun and don't let people judge you or get you down. It's a business. You're making money and it's not hurting anyone. This holiday season, buy a jar and support local small business. Technically, she's right. I'm seething (laughs) right now. I'm just, she's so proud. She's just so confident in this. She has 45,000 reasons this week. I, I know, I know. And like, Maybe it's because I, I have a great personality. That's why people like to smell my farts. Maybe it's because I'm hot. If you're interested in starting your own natural gas company, <laughs> her routine includes eating beans, a protein muffin, a yogurt, 
hard-boiled eggs, and sometimes a protein shake. Yeah, that'll it's do It's not it. a very good diet, yeah, that'll actually. That'll do it. 100%. has got to be it. hungry. Uh, broccoli. Throw a little steamed broccoli yeah. in there. According to BuzzFeed, she's moving full steam ahead with the business venture of selling her farts. I think I've really tapped into a huge market, she says, and there seems to be endless potential. I'm grateful that I'm able to entertain, spark debates and discussions, and open people's eyes to different ways of life. And noses. And tea. <laughs> That's a typo. I was wondering about that one. You know, when I was writing this story, guys, you know, it started, and I was like, okay, this is kind of a funny headline. And then the longer it went on, the more detached from reality I felt, thinking... Mm. This whole idea of like alternate universes and every decision we make spawns a different universe starts to make a whole lot of sense now. Because where are we now? How did we get here? Mm -hmm. How do well, we you wait back? for your paycheck at the end of the month? And there is a girl on the Internet who is capturing her farts into a jar and making forty five thousand dollars a week. You, my friend, are just jealous. <laughs> That's what it is. Okay. I, I guess inherently, I, I, I guess inherently yes i would be jealous but at the same time can you imagine going to the post office with a box of those and going i have something i need to ship mm -hmm. you're confident in that for forty five thousand dollars i could find the confidence my friend this is breaking me <laughs> i could find the confidence this is the shift podcast Welcome to the world of weird things with Greg Fish. Fishy, how are you, buddy? How's it going? Well, we're hanging out here, getting ourselves ready for these last couple of weeks uh, before the Christmas break, and we're welcoming you back on the program because I was off last week, and uh, it's all beautiful things, buddy. Things are good in California. Yeah. Can't complain. I mean, it was uh, rainy and cold today, but we actually do need rain because we are in yet another severe drought. So a little bit of wetness is always welcome. Nice. Um, I'm going to actually, before we get into this, I'm actually going to uh, clean up something I just said, Fish, before we got there. This text just arrived. And because this conversation was just a couple of minutes ago, I'm going to clean this up now. Um, hey, crew, it's interesting that Omicron was detected in North America before it was made public in Africa. That's not true. Omicron was detected first in South Africa. It was found first in South Africa. The patterns in high, testing backwards in time on old samples, then they found it. So there's no sneaky stuff going on there, right? There's no sneaky going on about, oh, it was hidden here and happened. Nope, nope, that's not what happened. What happened in the science was in South Africa, the scientists found the new patterns and variants. They basically found the cookie cutter. Then they shared the cookie cutter with the rest of the world, and everyone said, oh, we need to look for the cookie cutter. Everyone around the world started testing for the cookie cutter of this new variant, then started going backwards in time and back testing older ones, then found it, that it had been in other places earlier than it was detected, which has to happen. It has to be somewhere else first. That's the order of things, so there's no conspiracy around it. There's no weirdness around it. It just was figured out by the folks in South Africa and those scientists. Then it was found with sample testing elsewhere in the world. Okay. I hope that there's so much confusion around this, Greg. Do you find there's confusion in your world about all this stuff too? or 
I think people who really want to be confused by it are confused by it because there's a lot of shenanigans about trying to figure out where all these variants are coming from. But it works exactly how you said. There's always a lead time when it comes to detecting different variants. And you always have to go back in time and figure out, oh, this this happened. And, and I mean, I, I personally have my own experience with COVID where um, I, I did not think that I had it at the very start of 2020. But it turns out I most probably had. And I thought it would be impossible because, well, it was in China then. And I wasn't in China. I was in Mexico at the end of 2020. But then mm-hmm. when they tested back in time, they said, oh, no, December, it was all over Mexico. We didn't even know. It was starting mm. spreading all the way out in November. We had no idea what was going on until then. But they didn't know what they were looking for, right? So, you know, yeah. this, this is this is what uh, it is. Um, and so, you know, just to try to bring some clarity. Now, in this uh, world of weird things with Greg Fish, uh, because if that conversation is not confusing enough for you, let's talk about warp bubbles. Far yeah. more familiar. <laughs> Where yeah, are we going today, just- Fish? Yeah, this is just a very casual topic for for all of us. Uh, warp drives and warp bubbles. And actually, remember there was a text ask, asking me to to talk about this, and mm-hmm. I was looking for an opportunity to talk about you know warp drives and and, and faster than light travel. Um, and this just fell into my lap. There nice. is a DARPA funded lab. Oh, before you get going, there is another text that I'm going to ask you first that did come in. It says, okay. ask Greg, since you talked about text messages, ask Greg Fish what is cold to him. What feels cold for a temperature outside? What's cold to you? Well, you remember, I grew up, remember, I grew up in Ukraine, so like negative 10 Celsius starts feeling yeah. pretty cold to me. Uh, okay, uh, so now, in all fairness, Brendan Kelly grew up in a part of Ontario that has cold. Now he lives on the West Coast where it's not cold. He's soft. He admits it. Self-admitted soft guy. Um, you're in California, dude. You got to be soft. Oh, no, I've gotten softer over the years. I definitely do. Uh, I, I, I definitely do have to admit that because so right now I would say that that anything that's like approaching zero, I'm starting to feel a little uncomfortable. But mm. then when I'm actually when I'm when I'm somewhere that's cold and I'm somewhere that's below, it takes me a couple of days and I just kind of remember like, oh, yeah, OK, I can I can deal with this. I, I know how to All just right. I'll dress in layers. I, I'll, I know what I'm doing. Trucker Kevin says, the reason why I'm asking is I'm getting out of the uh, my truck right now to grab a trailer. It's minus 24 Celsius where he is. So That's cold. That I'm, I, that is very, very cold, I would say. Very good. Okay, warp bubbles. You did, uh, did get brought up through a question on the shift. Um, and so wh- where are we going to take the warp and the bubble? So here's where we're going to take it. There is a DARPA-funded lab in the United States called EagleWorks. And uh, there is an engineer and scientist who um, heads it named Harold Sony um, Sonny White. And uh, he has a lot of interesting work that he's done on trying to figure out how to make warp bubbles happen at very, very tiny scales. But one of the uh, less nice things about his work is that he does like to make a lot of really big, bold claims. And one of them was that they created essentially a microscopic warp bubble. You know, it can fit an atom inside, but the idea is they warp time and space on this quantum scale. So technically, that's kind of like the first step to trying to figure out how to make an actual warp bubble. You know, Star Trek, faster than light, we're going to other stars sort of deal, which is really exciting, right? Well, 
slight problem. It turns out that he actually didn't do that physically. There was a simulation based on work that they've done with lasers and magnets and, and, and things of that nature. Um, and unfortunately, it shows that theoretically it's possible to do that, but they haven't actually demonstrated it practically. That said, scientists have taken a look at it and said, you know what, though, he actually is getting kind of close to understanding the effect that we think makes it all possible. The effect that makes it all possible is something known as the Casimir effect. And so this is where this is where things actually get weird. Actually, tiny little atoms in a warp bubble. Where did they go? Well, that's the thing. They're not actually going anywhere right now, or at least we don't think. I wish I in could terms get funded of, to just prove that, that <laughs> this is a good idea. I love this. Okay. No, well, actually, no, this is, this is actually a good idea. So follow me on this train of thought. Working so, idea. yeah. So empty space is not actually empty, or at least okay. we don't think so. Okay. So empty space is essentially like, imagine that, that you have, there's a C. And there's always some sort of motion. There's always some sort of wave. There's always some sort of tide. There's always It, it never stands still. And mm. in space, you kind of have the same thing, but it's flows of energy and electromagnetism and gravitational waves because there's no place in space that's not touched by any sort of activity at any sort of scale. There's always something happening. There's always a little bit of energy. There's always a little bit of motion. So... Uh, so our thought is, well, can we manipulate that motion? And it turns out we can. There's an experiment that uh, that is supposed to demonstrate that. This is the Casimir effect that I was talking about. You can actually use things like inductive plates to try and isolate certain electromagnetic frequencies, to try and isolate uh, certain levels of energy. And then you can kind of change the shape and the force of that region of space that you've now isolated. So the thought is if we can do it on a big enough scale, that would actually make space warp around itself. And then if we can manipulate that warp, we're no longer subject to the laws of relativity. It's like creating the standing wave that would carry whatever we want, including spaceships at any speed that we want. So the thought is now we don't, if we wanted to go to another planet, we warp space and time around ourselves we go towards the planet then we break the warp bubble do whatever we want go to the next destination using that warp bubble that's that's the thought but there's a huge 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 catch one of the biggest problems in physics right now is that forces that we think work on a quantum scale may not translate one to one on a macro scale the scale that we inhabit so there's this, there's this big question, is there a disparity between the forces at the atomic and subatomic level and the forces on the scale of, of stars and galaxies and planets? If they don't scale one-to-one, -one, if they don't scale the way that we think they do, then this may not be possible at all. But if they do, then congratulations, we've just found a way to travel faster than light. And if we can actually bring enough energy and put together a big enough machine, we can warp space to our needs. So going places faster? Much faster. Okay, would we use it for anything else? 
we would no actually there's there's probably no real other use for it but that's actually a pretty amazing use because you know let's say you need uh you need more resources you can just zip to the asteroid belt and capture yourself an asteroid and drag it to wherever you want because you have you can manipulate literally manipulate space at your command okay. so okay that's that that's pretty spectacular right there i mean i don't know what else you want no, that's pretty spectacular. I'm concerned if I climb into this warp bubble and there's a fly in the warp bubble with me, do I turn into the fly? No. Is this no, you're a movie good. we've you're seen? Good. You sure? No, the, 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 you have to, the thing you have to worry about is that outside the bubble, there would be a lot of very, very powerful radiation. So you want to shield mm -hmm. yourself from that. Okay. But other than that, and actually it may even be possible to use that radiation and actually feed your warp bubble and go faster and faster and faster until... You know, you you got to the edge of overloading your systems. So again, mm -hmm. lots of really cool physics opens up when you do that. Um, and we've actually have figured out what that would look like. So, for example, uh, you know, like when they show in in sci-fi movies and in Star Trek, they have like the stars whizzing by in the line because they're moving so fast. That mm -hmm. would never happen because the stars are just so far away. It would it, you you'd never see something like that. But because of relativity, what would actually happen is all of these, your field of view would coalesce down to one extremely bright point right in front of you. And you'd just be traveling towards that. So actually traveling the war bubble would be really boring. So bring a good book, your favorite huh. game, download your favorite <laughs> movie. It's just, it's not going to be very scenic. I'm, I'm sorry to say. So this is, if we put this into the lives of the humans, you know what's going to happen on the very first warp bubble trip that comes with Wi-Fi? Someone's going to complain that the Wi-Fi speed is too slow. Like, this is how much we've lost the context of how cool some of these science things are, is that... Wait, like for me, when you're on an airplane at a tube in the sky at 40,000 feet and people complain because the internet goes out for a second, you're in a tube in the sky. You're not supposed to be there in the first place. The internet is a benefit. I feel like if we were to get into a warp bubble, somebody would complain that the in-flight entertainment sucked. You know what I'm saying? This is humanity. This is why we have, this is why we have airlocks and this is why you just kick them out and that field of radiation around the bubble will take care of them permanently. Melt them? How do we get this right into everybody's lives here? How does this affect the average person? Well, see, that's the thing. We don't quite know whether it's possible. We just think we have a really good idea of how to make it happen. But there are two reasons why you should care. The first reason is that to make this all possible, we need to make nuclear fusion work. Nuclear fusion is very important because it would be kind of like the ultimate clean energy, and that's what we're really striving for. It would replace a lot of uh, currently very inefficient ways of generating electricity and would be able to do it very cleanly and very effectively. So that's one benefit. We would basically get a lot of clean energy and um, get it pretty quickly at a pretty massive scale if we if we do figure this out. Mm. And then the other important thing is that all this quantum stuff that I've been talking about, I understand that for a lot of people, this is very much like, okay, my, my eyes have completely glazed over. I don't know what this nerd is, is talking about. And, and we can get into all sorts of details that make less and less sense and become more and more esoteric. And the thing is, I can't blame people for not really wanting to catch up on this stuff unless you are actually working on trying to do 
warp bubbles, or you're a particle physicist, or you're mm. doing something with cosmology and astronomy, you probably don't have to ever encounter this. All good but, hobbies, though. All good hobbies, all fun hobbies, <laughs> and I definitely encourage that. But, but you know who really cares about the fact that you don't know a lot about quantum stuff? People who want to scam you on the internet, uh, particularly a lot of um, health scams and snake oil and like wellness wellness stuff that's sold on social media that you see on Instagram that's promoted by MLMs, multi-level marketing organizations, which is basically just a fancy word for a pyramid scheme that's somehow still legal. Um, they talk a lot about quantum this and quantum that and quantum other thing. And they'll tell you that, oh, all matter is vibrations and we will affect the vibrations with this product that costs a zillion dollars and will require you to take a second mortgage, but you will live forever because blah, 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 blah. It's all nonsense. It all preys on the fact that people don't really know a lot about quantum physics or mechanics because they don't have to. And it just blinds them with the opposite of science that is very very good to bring it home that way um using big words to confuse people to buy into things there's a good question that came in on text for you greg fish it says all i hear is about going faster and faster my question is how do you slow down that is actually a very complicated problem in space because you don't have anything to, that really slows you down. But the thought is, yeah. if you interrupt the warp bubble, then it will actually kind of stop you because your inertia kind of goes away into the bubble. So all of that energy would be, uh, would be involved in deconstructing the bubble. Of course, there's some scientists who say that if you do that, then you release energy in all directions. So you basically build a giant bomb but there's a lot of disagreement on that. Uh, so yeah, so the, the, that is a very long way of saying we're still trying to figure that part out. Right, breaks, breaks, man. Okay, another text comes in and says, Greg, could we warp out too far? This one is a time warp scenario. As in, could we warp to before we were born? Theoretically, you should not be able to simply because it would break causality and we think that things that break causality would cause you to basically self-destruct. Mm -hmm. However, you could pop in the region of space in a different time, usually the future. When you travel, when you try to travel at, you know, sim at, at close to the speed of light or near extremely heavy objects like black holes, or you're trying to build warp bubbles, that is a really good way to go forward in time very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the, the issue is you would say, okay, you're traveling faster than light. So you should be, so you should be able to go back in time as well, but that's not allowed by physics. And by not allowed by physics, I mean, you will literally be blown into nothing. There will be literally nothing left of you if you try to do that. So what happens in the warp bubble is that it kind of carves out a pocket of space where you can do all of your relativity stuff and you move that pocket around, but you're mm -hmm. not actually, you are not traveling faster than the speed of light. So you can't go back. But if you travel at a relativistic speed inside a warp bubble, then you go forward in the future. It's kind of like a, a time machine <laughs> thing where you can't go back. It's amazing. So 88 miles an hour, some lightning and a DeLorean were good, really, is what this boils down to? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, okay, good. You, 
you just you just need you just need a bigger Mr. Fusion than they had, and right. that's basically about it. Uh, that's um, fantastic. We'll work on the flux capacitor until next week. Greg Fish, World of Thanks, buddy. Thanks for being here. Always a pleasure. This is the Shift Podcast. First, we're going across the Pacific. Welcome to the International Dispatch from our world citizen. Live from Japan, New Zealand's Chris Gilbert. Yep, he's in Tokyo. He lived in Canada. He's from New Zealand. Claire, Chris Gilbert's here. He's feeling better. He's been sick. He had a little uh, strep throat and all kinds of things going on. How you feeling, buddy? You good? You're back? You look good. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, no, I had a I had a sneaky strip, um, but even sneakier was the cold that was disguising it. So I was like, oh, I have a cold, and then my cold got better, but then it got worse again because under the cold was a different form of cold that doesn't go away without antibiotics. And so hmm. yeah, I'm not happy with those two things. They sucked. I hated it, and also they were happening at the same time that um everyone was wetting the bed about Omicron and all the news. And so I was like, oh, my God, it's me. I'm going to die. I'm going to get, you know, like blood clots and stuff. And and uh, no, just just a cold and uh, and mm. some hay fever. I don't know if you ever get like really bad hay fever and sneezing, but sometimes I sneeze so much that I become sick from the sneezes. And like I have a cold for like four days because just, just from sneezing, just sneezing. Shame. <laughs> it feels good, though, doesn't it? Anyway, yeah, I was sick. All right. I'm here now. Though. Um, Hi. The International Dispatch is where we take a little tour around the world. And because you're in Tokyo, things are uh, different over there. It's a, it's a few steps away, a little walk. I figure the next segment when we're done here, Chris, is the question for everybody about what would ease their mind. Rapid tests has been in the news here to ease people's right. mind for Christmas. What are you guys going through in Tokyo right now around all things uh, COVID? Um, my go-to uh, within reach of all times is uh, at all times is uh, to ease my mind is Southern Comfort, and uh, I just uh, reach for that that sweet sweet bottle. No, I don't. I oh. I actually um, I do I do meditation every morning, um, but in, in Tokyo, you know, like I think I've told you, uh, like that, like um, things are good. Like actually, I think this is the one place at the moment. I don't know if it's the one place, but. I'm I'm surprised and I don't want to jinx it. And I think everyone has one eyebrow raised at the moment because things here are actually, actually good. And I think we had the worst summer ever of uh, 20,000 cases a day in the country and like 5,000 cases a day in Tokyo. And everyone was upset about the Olympics. And all of a sudden in September, they did and went down to 25 a day. And uh, mm-hmm. I think since then we haven't looked back and there's been a lot of questions about um, what what uh, is it that has made this you know drastic recovery in Tokyo, and honestly, mate, I think it's everybody wears a mask. That's really it. Even with 25 cases a day, everyone on the train is wearing a mask. Everyone outside is wearing a mask. People aren't really like touchy touchy, huggy huggy when they see each other that much anyway. And I, I honestly think people just are, are clean and mask wearing humans. So. I um I things are good here and uh you know usually for Christmas we talked about this before in Japan I, I do a KFC Christmas um but this year I'm going New Zealand styles um I'm wow. going oh. full the KFC colonial parts the Japanese thing right British. like yes 
So what is what yeah, is the yeah. what is the the Kiwi Christmas look like then? Uh, the Kiwi Christmas is very British, so you have to wash everything of any flavor. Just boil and roast it until it doesn't taste like anything. You want it to taste mm. like you know winter tires. Um, but it's you know it's it's pavlova. Are you familiar with pavlova? Mm-mm. Pavlova is a, a it's a New Zealand dessert. It's not Australian. And it's uh, pretty much a very, very soft meringue, not a crunchy meringue, extremely soft. So it's, it's like fluffy and then it's covered in cream and then it's covered in uh, like strawberries and kiwi fruit. Um, you know, just like British food, like peas, roast things, get something and roast it. Um, some New Zealanders like it, it's huge quotation fingers summer in New Zealand at Christmas time. Um, but it's pretty much close to Antarctica. So, you know, it's, it's not really any summer there, but people like to go to the beach and have barbecues and they'll barbecue like sausages and steaks and stuff. But, uh, honestly, mate, like Christmas when I, me growing up, you know, my mother was, uh, uh, Eastern, Eastern European, Eastern European stock, Ukrainian stock. Um, my dad is pretty much as, as white as you can get. So it was just like roast, roast, roast white people food and, that's about all I can say. It's very uninspiring, to be honest. I'm getting depressed just thinking about it. And um, hmm. you know what? Maybe I will go back to the KFC. <laughs> KFC Christmas, very popular in Japan. Sir Christopher Gilbert here yeah. on The Shift. If you don't know Chris, uh, he used to be one of the content producers on the program. Then he did move away. And uh, now he is in Tokyo. He takes us on a tour around the world with the International Dispatch. Where are we going first, Chris? Um, you know, I, I saw a story the other day which... Um, made me giggle and uh i have a few questions about it which is that in singapore apparently there are a lot of otters and Mm -hmm. there weren't that many because of deforestation etc but i think uh recovery in the waterways and recovery in forestation uh the otters are coming back and love them or hate them um they're around singapore and apparently they're everywhere and, and they just like you know, rove around in gangs of 10 or 20 and they wear leather jackets and sunglasses and they, you know, walk around clicking their, their fingers, fingers and, and stuff. Too? Yeah, exactly. You know, you're talking about otters, like the like, sea dogs, right? Like the fuzzy little dogs of the ocean kind of otters. Yeah. The, okay. The funny little guys, you know, actually like I, I um, <laughs> one of my favorite memories of living in British Columbia was when I was in Vancouver Island uh, one time and I was out near Souk and um, I was at the, the water and I thought I saw a log floating past just you know, near, the, near the shore. And it turned out to be an otter just on his back. And I'm like, that is the coolest thing because the otter was obviously just enjoying itself. Have you ever seen animals just like doing something for enjoyment? This otter was just like on its back, just floating down, you know, just like giving a paddle. It looked like I should have had a martini glass in one hand. And then it did like <laughs> a little roll in the water, it rolled around a couple of times and it kept floating along. And I have to compliment British Columbia on their otters because I'm looking at a photo of a Singapore otter right now. And, it, and like, no offense to Singapore. Singapore's a cool place, but these otters, you know, they're not very attractive. You know, they're kind of like sleek. They kind of look like swimming rats. Whereas the British Columbia otters are extremely fluffy and cute. Um, so heads off to, to BC and your otters. But in Singapore, they rove the city. And uh, this one guy, uh, he's, he's a British man. Um, he was, uh, running around, uh, a park. When I say running around, I don't mean like crazily. He was going for a run. Um, and he said he, he feared for his life 
after being attacked by a pack of wild otters. The headline is, British man and otters uh, attacked by otters in Singapore thought he was going to die. Um, Graham George Spencer suffered 26 wounds on his buttocks, Whoa. legs, and fingers, and you know oh, they yeah. put buttocks first on purpose, while on his usual 6 a.m. walk, sorry, I, I gave him too much credit. He wasn't running, he was walking. In the Singapore <laughs> Botanic Gardens on November 30th, the man was at the end of a walk with a friend when he spotted 20 otters quietly crossing a path, so minding their own mm. business, right? Mm -hmm. About four meters in front of him. But then all of a sudden, they went, and this is in quotation scare quotes, wild after being startled, I would put here if I was writing the story, allegedly startled, by an oncoming runner who stepped on one of them. Uh, the otters then started attacking Spencer, possibly believing he was the runner. I like this. They're, he's blaming the otters for getting confused. Um, by the way, I, I'm making fun of this guy a little bit. I'm going to, I, I don't want to be bitten by an otter. I don't want to be attacked by 20 otters. That sounds like a really not great time. Um, he said the biting felt like a staple gun. He said, when I laid there, and this is my favorite part, it was like time had stopped. And I kept thinking, surely I'm not going to die this way. And so I don't mean to laugh. But I'm just imagining this big, like, because this guy looks like a walking sausage. I just imagine like this big <laughs> British guy lying on the ground in Singapore with like just a few small otters on him, biting him, thinking, surely not like this. Like, dude, just get up, brush them off, walk away. I, They're otters, it's, you know? How does he know what a staple gun feels like? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Right? That's my other question. Like, this guy <laughs> probably works as a tradesman. And he's not very good. He keeps, you know, stapling himself and getting bitten by otters. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, there's some text that came in from Steve. It says, just so you know, there's a difference between sea otters and river otters, apparently. Did not Thank know you, that. Steve. We also learned that there's a difference between water chestnuts and tree chestnuts, um, mostly because water chestnuts are terrible. So we've also determined that uh, here on the shift today. Um, I don't know if they're part of your diet when you're in Tokyo. Chestnuts? Water well, chestnuts. My, well, I don't know, but my name in Japanese is Chestnut. Oh. Christopher? Chestnut. Yeah, so my, because they don't have kr in Japanese, but they do have kuri. So my name is, my name Chris is Kurisu. And uh, kuri in Japanese is Chestnut. So uh, I'm a chestnut. So what is uh, I don't if you're... I don't like them. I don't like chestnuts. I don't like the. Flavor. Nobody likes them. Ryan does, but we kicked him off the show, so he's not allowed back. Oh, Ryan, like, I mean, he put his hand in the air, but honestly, mate, like, right? I like you, Ryan. Why are you on the wrong side of everything, Ryan? Ryan. See, I'm. Um, I don't have a good answer for that, so I'll just that say water chestnuts are perfectly fine, oh, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna not. stop talking. Yes. I, I feel yeah, like a lot of people would yes. like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah no chestnuts aren't fine in any description i mean I, I remember when i went to ottawa when i was like 21 years old and they're roasting them in those little carts on the side of the road and i'm like oh what are these things these look amazing they smell good they look delicious they're roasting them and it's cold outside i might buy one and i bought a bag of these chestnuts and i ate one and i'm like what the what am i going to do with the rest of these the first one was <laughs> disgusting they're soft they they just ugh oh, I can't can't abide by a chestnut. Um, 
Um, anyway, we're talking about otters, but I, I, <laughs> I do have. Um, hey man, it's I, all right. I do, I do have a way to round off the otter story. Um, all right. Which it, which is that, um, I found uh, in, in the search I did on this story, you know. Um, the first headline was uh, British man attacked by otters in Singapore thought he was going to die. The headline under that in the search results were otter mania, cheeky animals are taking over Singapore, which is a very different vibe. Um, but apparently, and this might be a clue to what happened here, um, Mr. Spencer or, you know, whatever his name is, uh, said that a, another runner stepped on the otter and the otter's and their confusion and stupidity did not see the runner, but saw this British man and were like, he is the culprit. Let's bite him with our staple gun teeth. That is what he claims to have happened. I don't believe him because this article says that uh, this other article says that uh, otters uh, have their fans. Um, they also have people in Singapore who absolutely hate them. Um, uh, Lynette Fu is quoted, 32. She's home with her baby when she heard squeaks and apparently a dozen otters were feasting on her koi carp that she kept in her backyard pond. Um, frustration with otters mounted during the pandemic when lockdown restrictions kept people home and gave animals free reign of the city. Um, you know, apparently they're pests. And I think some people who live in Singapore absolutely H-A-T-E hate them. So my th thought is that uh, is a bit of victim blaming going on here and that uh, the man who stepped on the otter was in fact the man who got bitten by the otter i'm giving the otters more credit i think they can see uh the person that steps on them it was not some other runner it was the man walking with his big sausage feet in the park and uh <laughs> i'm i think the, the the otters are innocent victims and um i you know i i think you know he you know it, it, we're not talking about life and death here the guy was totally fine he got a few bites but you know maybe he had it coming and that's my two cents on the matter saving uh sticking up for the otters everywhere although i did google otter teeth yeah that's pretty wicked looking oh. wait, those wait, are wait, ferocious o t t r is that t e t wait no i can't spell teeth o t t r t e t i just have a look Oh, it's a radio. They're show. sharp. See? <laughs> Sir oh, Christopher I... Gilbert and oh. the International Dispatch. Um, can we let's touch on cats since we're talking about um, psychotic yeah. animals? Dogs are rule. Okay. Cats are psychotic. Um, we only have a couple of minutes, Chris. Let's get in the story. Okay, sure. I, I'm going to bang this one out. Then um, I talked about orders for way too long. Um, this story kind of upset me. Are cats psychopaths? New research is probably. Uh, it said they did pretty much, you know, like, oh, you know, if you tick the qualities of a corporation next to the, the traits of a psychopath, corporations are actually psychopaths. They did the same thing with cats. Uh, to narrow down how a cat can be considered a psychopath, researchers surveyed 549 pet owners. This is from the uh, University of Liverpool. Uh, and John Moore's university surveyed them to find out, you know, what the personality of cats are like, as if we didn't already know that cats are selfish, horrible animals. What they found mm -hmm. was that the majority of cats surveyed fell well under the spectrum of uh, psychopathy. Uh, to narrow down how a cat could be considered a psychopath, researchers asked questions like, my cat vocalizes loudly. 
you know, for example, meows for no apparent reason. My cat runs around the house for no apparent reason. My cat does not appear to act guilty after misbehaving.、Um, the triarchic concept of psych,、uh, psych, psychopathy—it's not a word I say very often. I'm sorry—was used to create a new feline-centric criteria for psychopathy,、um, uh, which include levels of boldness, meanness,、um, and also this like unfriendliness and unpityness, pretty much. What this says to me is that like people think they understand their cats way better than they do. If、mm. I, if, if someone from you know a university in Liverpool asks me, "Does your cat vocalize loudly, like meowing?" and I'll be like, "Yeah, it's a cat." I'm like, "All right, does your cat run around the house for no apparent reason?" I'm like, "Well, yeah, it's a cat. I'm not going to understand why the cat is doing what it's doing. It's a cat. It doesn't tell me anything. I don't understand its motives." And the third one is like my cat does not appear to act guilty after misbehaving. It's a cat. It's always guilty. Cats do everything, you know. Like you know, like, <laughs> look at cats. Look at what cats do. Cats are just like constantly knocking over your coffee cups off the table. Always、oh, trouble. They're like, oh, they're they're trouble. And like people should not go to univer-、uh, university researchers and call them their cat psychopaths because they're cats, and they're not people. And so、uh, tonight, I'm clearly on the side of otters, and I'm on the side of cats.、Uh, just allow cats to be cats. When was the last time your cat went and got your slippers? Right, helping out around the house just a little bit. That's all I have to say about that. Dogs rule. Sir Christopher Gilbert, potato、rule. chip Gilbert, is his imaginary cat that he's wanted for about two years now. <laughs>、um, <laughs> it's still imaginary. <laughs> it's still imaginary. Getting, Live from Tokyo. Maybe I'm the psychopath. All the way across the ocean,、uh, Chris. Thanks so much for being here, bud. It's great to see your face. Glad you're、uh, back up and Adam. It's great to see. Yeah, no, and、uh, Merry Christmas、uh, for for next week. But、um, yeah, let's 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 talk let's talk about Christmassy things next week. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show, and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 